Amen. We're going to ask you to join us in reading from God's Word together. We'll have the words on the screen for you. And we're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 1, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Would you stand with me, please, as we read together? I'll ask you to read responsively with me. I'll begin with the first verse. This is the word of the Lord. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who gave me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and thus you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I love all the Christmas decorations. As I walked in this morning, I thought of a dear friend of mine who is now with the Lord, who whenever anything good happened, he always said, 
the hand reaches down. And I walked in this morning, and I saw the hand reaching down. And I thought, that's what we need every day of our lives. The hand reaches down. God is at work in this world, in our lives today. And there is no way in which he has reached down more than in sending his own son to be one of us, to be part of this cursed human race for our redemption. Christmas, what a wonderful time of the year. Today we're going to be starting a a three-part series on ancient prophecies of Christ's first coming to earth. More than ever before, I believe, it is important for us to understand fulfilled prophecies of His first coming so that we may properly interpret the prophecies of His second coming. We do not want to be those foolish people who cannot read the signs of the times because we have the future here. Only God knows the future. And He has written it for us in this book. Some Christians say, well, I'm not interested in prophecy. You just eliminated one-third of the Bible. One-third of the Bible was prophecy when written. Prophecy is important. It is one of the greatest evidences of the supernatural nature of the Bible and God's intervention in this world. So today, we're going to study the first messianic prophecy. I think most of us know the Christmas story. We know what happened at Christmas that we celebrate. But I want us to go to the prequel, the story before. When people say to me, where should I start reading the Bible? I don't say in Genesis. I say in John, usually. Because there you will meet Jesus, and you will learn what he said and what he did. You will see who he is, and you will believe in him. Once you have believed in Him, then read the rest of the Gospels. They'll give you another perspective. And then read the outcome of the work of Christ in the book of Acts and in the letters of the New Testament. When you have read the New Testament, then go back and read the prequel. And the book of Genesis is so important, especially in the early chapters, because it lays the foundation for the whole big story of what this world is all about. This world is not random. It is not chance. It is not without meaning. It is His story. History truly is His story. And it's a love story. It's a gospel story. It's a good news story. So we are looking at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. If you would open your Bibles to the third chapter. This third chapter helps us to understand our world. There's two things anyone can notice about our world. Number one, it works. We live in a world that shows evidence of design 
And there are so many orderly processes in this world and even in our own human body that it points us to the designer, the Creator God. The world is good. It has many good things going in it. And all of the universe seems to be designed and operate properly. The second observation that anyone can make is that there's something dreadfully wrong with this world. And that that which is wrong seems to be centered in humans in particular. And that's the story of Genesis 1-3. through In chapters 1 and 2, we find that God created the world. He created human beings and He declared it good. But things go bad by chapter 3. In chapter 3, everything starts coming apart. And it is all because of the essential problem of this world, which is human sin. Sin. It originated in heaven in an angel called Lucifer. It spread to mankind as recorded here in Genesis chapter 3. But there is hope. In the midst of this great tragedy of what is called theologically the fall of man, there is hope. And that hope is centered in the messianic prophecy in the first gospel found here in Genesis 3.15. Let's pray and ask God by His Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, as we come to Your Word, we pray that the veil might be drawn back, that we could see with our spiritual eyes what we cannot see with our physical eyes, that we may see what You are doing in this world, what Satan is doing, and what the ultimate outcome will be. Because of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. These words were spoken by God about 6,000 years ago to a snake, a serpent. About 4,000 years before Christ. It was then written down by Moses 1,500 years before Christ. And only God can write history ahead of time. Genesis 3.15 God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In this prophecy, God told Adam and Eve that, and Satan that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and in the process would have his heel crushed. This is the first messianic prophecy. But what does it mean? Well, we're going to look at this small prophecy in two parts. The conflict and then the conquest. An understanding of this conflict will explain the underlying forces that produce all of the conflicts in our world. Understanding of the conquest described here will give us hope for the day when the rightful ruler of planet Earth will take His throne. What a mess Adam and Eve had made of things. It started out so nice. They had lived in a beautiful garden. 
They had wonderful talking animals. You ever wonder what your animal would say to you? If we could talk, your dog, your cat. They knew. They knew what the animals were saying. A perfect marriage made by God. Healthy food. Daily fellowship with God. That walk in the cool of the day with the Lord. It was paradise. Until Eve listened to the serpent and ate the forbidden fruit and gave it to her husband and he ate. And death came upon them and all their descendants and upon the earth. What a horrible realization that she had been scammed. Have you ever been scammed? Has anyone ever cheated you, deceived you, defrauded you, stolen your identity or whatever it may have been and you say, I never should have opened that email. I never should have clicked on that. I never should have signed that paper or whatever it was. She had that horrible feeling. It sounded so good. He said we would be like God's. He said we wouldn't die. He said God's word was not to be taken literally. By the way, you don't take the Bible literally, do you? Hmm. If only they had taken the word of God literally. You ever been accused of that? I've been accused of that. Taking the Bible literally. Now there certainly are poetic devices in the word of God that help express all of that. But it always means something. Essentially, I believe that God says what he means and means what he says. And when you take the plain meaning of Scripture and you trust God, it comes out right. Now, if you have a real small God who can't do much, then you have to reinterpret everything in this book. Because that couldn't be unless there's a God who can do whatever he desires to do. But there is a God who can do everything that he desires to do, who did everything he said he did, and is going to do everything he says he's going to do, because he is God Almighty. So now, they didn't think God really meant it. There's so many people that feel that way about hell today. They say, God doesn't really mean it. He was just doing that to scare you. He's just trying to scare you into being good, like parents do, you know. You ever see him at Walmart? We're going home right now if you don't stop. <laughs> but they don't go home right now. Yeah, it's just scaring them. They think God's like that. He didn't mean it. In the end, he'll just let everybody slide. They don't think that God means his word. No, he does mean his word. The good things and the bad things in the Bible are all true because God said them and he cannot lie. So now Adam and Eve and all their descendants have shame and guilt. They're evicted from the garden. The curse of death is upon them. They have their fellowship with God broken. Their fellowship with each other is broken. And they descend into the blame game. And guilt now plagues their lives. Is there hope? In a lost world? Is there hope in a lost paradise? Is there hope in a world where they have bought the scam of Satan? 
That's verse 15. Yes. God says, you gave it all away, but I'm going to fight to get it back. I am entering this war on your behalf. There is going to be a long war, and I'm going to fight for you. And so the conflict in the world, I will put, God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, the serpent, and the woman. How many of you women don't like snakes? Anybody here? Along with Indiana Jones, you don't like snakes. Okay, all right. I don't like snakes either. But this particular snake is more than an animal. As we compare Scripture with Scripture, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. We go to Revelation 12.9, the very end of the Bible, and we see that the serpent is the devil. Satan, the great dragon, the fallen angel, cast out of heaven with other disobedient angels. Revelation 12.9, so the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. So there is conflict, not just between women and snakes, but between the human race and Satan. And then we see that it is between your seed and her seed. So there is the seed of the serpent, and there is the seed of the woman. You see, Satan had a plan for a new world order. Soon after creation, his order was Satan, woman, man. And we see Satan working out that order today. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11.3, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Just as there is order in the Trinity, equality of the persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet there is an order and design in the function of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, So there is equality of personhood in marriage, the man and the woman equal before God. And yet there is order of function within marriage and the family. And Satan is seeking to destroy that in our world today. In Adam and Eve and ever since, Satan has been the deceiver of the whole world. He is a liar. He deceives the whole world. So due to the fall of Adam and Eve from innocence to sinfulness, the whole human race became allied with Satan through them. But even though humans rebelled against God and joined Satan in his rebellion against God, God has not given up on us. But we have to see where we really fall in this whole story. In Matthew 3, 7, when Jesus saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Literally, children of snakes. Do you know that false teachers are children of snakes? That's what Jesus 
called them. Yes, the, the meek and mild Jesus. He said they were children of snakes. He was not just using pejorative language. He was describing their spiritual origin. What is Satan working in the world today? We think of him often in the worldly and rotten, nasty, gutter activities of many areas of immorality. Where he primarily works, however, is in false religion. What is the power of these false religions? We think of the rise of Islam. Incredibly powerful. The influence of Buddhism and Hinduism over so many millions of the world's inhabitants. The darkness that has descended on so many through the false religion of modern Judaism. And we think about all of the liberal Protestantism. We think of the Roman Catholic Church around the world. We think of the development of false religions so pervasive in our world. Where does all the energy and the power of false religion come from? It has its origin in the serpent, Satan himself. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 38, the field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the of the wicked one. What did he say in John 8:44? You are of your father the devil. I like President Trump's speech at the lighting of the Christmas tree this past week. He said a lot of really good things. One of the things he said was like a little shaky though. He said we're all children of God. Now it is true that we are all offspring of the creator God. God made all human beings. We all have come from the first parents that he created, Adam and Eve. But spiritually speaking, there are two families. There are those who through faith in Jesus Christ have become children of God. We have become inheriting sons in his family. We've been adopted into his family. But we started out as children of the wicked one. Children of the snake. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 to 9, we have the story of what is called the fiery serpents. The people were whining and complaining against God, and God sent fiery serpents as a judgment on his people. They bit the people, and many people of Israel died. But then God supplied an unusual solution when they prayed and cried out to the Lord. In Numbers 21.7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a brazen serpent put it on a pole. And so it was as a serpent had bitten anyone. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Even to this day, the symbol of medicine is the serpent on the pole. Even our barber's pole is reminiscent of that symbol of healing, the serpent on the pole. What was the meaning of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that He became human? He became a son of the serpent and hung on the cross 
that we might be forgiven of our sins and freed from the death that Adam and Eve brought upon the human race. That's why John mentions this in John 3.14. In the Gospel, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Like those Israelites who had sinned, we have sinned. We cry out to God and we say, can we be saved from death? Can we be saved from hell? And He put His own Son as the serpent on the pole. And when we look to Him in faith, we are saved. Amen? Amen. Jesus took the lowest place in order to put us in the highest place. The snake was condemned to crawl on his belly in the dust. So Jesus came to this world and came as a sin-cursed human. He came as a human, but He never sinned Himself. And then He paid for our sins with His blood on the cross that He might be the one that we could look to in order to be saved. Jesus, He is the seed of Abraham. He is the seed of the woman. This is the first reference to the virgin conception of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew 1.23 records, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, they shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Galatians 4.4 God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. So the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. This conflict continues all the way through the Bible and down to the present time. You will never understand what you read in the news or watch in the news unless you understand the underlying spiritual conflict going on in our world. And it is particularly aimed at Israel and the church. Revelation 12.17 The dragon was enraged with the woman, that's Israel, and he went to make war on the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whenever Satan has his way in this world, he seeks to snuff out Israel and the church. Why? Because these are the only lights in this dark world. God has made promises to Israel that He will keep literally. He has made promises to the church that He will keep literally. And Satan is still 
in a long war against God. He is called the God of this age, small g. That is Satan who has blinded the minds of those who have not believed. Where was he before he tempted Eve? Isaiah 14 says he was in heaven. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? But he was cut down to the ground after he said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan was the angel Lucifer. An angel in the presence of God, but he said, I don't want to be an angel. I want to be God. He wanted to move up a notch, and so he was cast down. He has always wanted to destroy God's creative order. But he started out as an angel in heaven. He was in the garden, according to Ezekiel 28 and verse 12. It says there, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. And it describes him as a musician, as a merchant, and as one of great physical beauty. Is Satan a real person? Many people say, well, I believe in the personification of evil. I believe that there is evil in the world, but I believe that Satan is just personification. No, he is a person. He is not a human. He is a fallen angel. But he is a person. He has mind, emotions, and will. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11.3, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. He's smart. He's smart enough to outwit you and me apart from God. He has emotions. He was enraged with the woman, Revelation 12.17. He has a will, 2 Timothy 2.26. People are taken captive by Him to do His will. And He's the accuser of the brethren. We find this in the book of Job. He was accusing Job before God. Revelation 12.10 says he's the accuser of the brethren. What is the answer to the accuser of the brethren? When the devil puts thoughts into your mind saying you're no good, look what you've done. You can't serve God. You're not a real Christian. He tries to discourage believers. He puts thoughts into our minds. And we live in a world where increasingly people are listening to their hearts. Big mistake. Because Satan can speak in your heart. He can access our mind with temptations. Even as he did with Jesus in his temptation on the Mount of Temptation. And how did Jesus answer every accusation of Satan? With memorized Scripture. The only thing more powerful than the accusations of of Satan is memorized Scripture. And this is why it is so important that even though our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Amen. He tempts believers' hearts with lies. He tempted Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Satan tempts us to lose our self-control, 1 Corinthians 7, 5, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
Satan seeks to discourage us over shameful sins. We are not ignorant of his devices. Satan seeks to confuse believers by empowering false religious leaders to do supernatural miracles, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.9, with powers, signs, and lying wonders. Satan seeks to ensnare believers in destructive habits. He takes them captive to do his will. He seeks to destroy our joy, our love, and our peace by frightening us. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Those who know lions say that the roaring lion is the one that's lost his teeth. He does the roaring while the young lions do the attacking. He's lost his teeth. His head was crushed on the cross. You ever kill a snake? Anybody here ever kill a snake? We came home from a long vacation one time. It was a black snake about this long on our porch, lounging in the sun. My kids saw this as a great opportunity for conquest. And so we were out there, and we managed to chop his head off. But you know, he still scared us after his head got chopped off. He was still wiggling and writhing and scaring us half to death. Satan has had his head crushed, but he can sure scare us. Don't let him scare you. God is greater. The devil seeks to lie and steal and destroy. He is working in this world today, but he is a defeated foe. God is greater, and the victory has been won already on the cross by our Savior Jesus Christ. Satan uses the world to tempt our flesh. You know, a lot of people are trying to figure out, now was that the world, the flesh, or the devil? It's usually all three. Satan uses this world to tempt our flesh and to get us away from God. But God is greater, and He can deliver us and help us. You know that Satan was after Jesus all through his life? The devil tried to kill him when he was a young boy through Herod, killing all the children, the boys in Bethlehem. Little boys, what a horrible thing. He confronted him in the wilderness in the temptation. The people of his hometown tried to throw him off a cliff. Satan brought up a storm on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus calmed with a word. Jesus was battling with Satan all the way through. You say, why are there so many stories in the Gospels involving demon possession? Because the devil and his demons were throwing everything they had at Jesus to keep him from going to the cross and the empty tomb for you and me. Because that is where Satan's head was crushed. So, God didn't give up on humans after we sided with Satan in the fall. He promised a deliverer, one who would be human without a human father, and who would battle with Satan, be wounded and win, destroying Satan and his power over us. What is the conquest? Christ crushes Satan's head. He shall bruise your heel. Your head. He shall bruise your head. The serpent's head would be bruised or crushed. Jesus came to earth to defeat Satan for us. Hebrews 2.14 That through death He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Colossians 2.15 Having disarmed principalities and powers, He made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. Yes, Jesus won the victory over Satan on the cross. In the process, Satan crushed 
Christ's heel. Christ, the seed of the woman, had His heel crushed or bruised. The Hebrew word there, bruised, is also used in Isaiah 53.10. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief. You ever have a heel spur? I've had heel spur. They're very painful, you know. And they've got all kinds of things online. There's 27 cures for it online, which means there isn't any cure. But anyway, you, you'll try all these different things to get rid of heel spur. It's very painful, though, if you have pain in your heel. Very painful, but it's not going to kill you. You know, you're not going to die from that. Jesus experienced terrible pain, but it was not that which ended his existence. No. He endured that pain on the cross, but He triumphed over death by rising from the dead. The ultimate expression of this conflict will be found in the end times when the lawless one, the Antichrist, is revealed upon this earth. And then the Lord will come and destroy him with the breath of his mouth. And that will be the final defeat of the Antichrist. So, the Lord Jesus Christ is the serpent crusher. He has come, and we need not fear Satan. What did John say? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But we are in spiritual warfare every day. We are not sufficient for these things, but God is. And that's why we must walk in constant fellowship with the Lord. That's why we must constantly depend on Him. That's why we must repeatedly confess our sins as soon as we're aware of them and yield to Him and be in fellowship with Him so that we can live lives of victory in this battlefield called the world. You and I are part of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are behind enemy lines in a world ruled by Satan. But someday, the rightful ruler of planet earth will come back and we as believers will come back with him and enthrone him on his throne, the throne of David, where he will rule this earth for a thousand years. Until then, Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done it, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, 
And for me, the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. When Satan accuses, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, the answer comes in verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to the death. The victory comes through the blood of Jesus. That's how you and I were forgiven of our sins by the blood of Jesus. He died in our place on the cross for our sins. And so we got saved by trusting in the price He paid. He paid with His blood for our sins. How do we have victory over Satan when he accuses us? When he accuses us rightly. And Satan comes to us and says, you did that, how can you serve God? How can you be saved when you do that? You're tempted with that. You struggle with that. You go through that. How can you be one of God's children? The answer again is the blood of Jesus blood of Jesus. I've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. His blood continually washes me clean. And His blood will wash me until He takes me to His heavenly home. Washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit, and made ready for our heavenly home only by His grace. Let's bow in prayer. As your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like you to think about some things in regard to this truth we've studied today. First question is, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Are you still on the devil's side that we were all on at one time? Or have you passed over, crossed over to Jesus' side? How do you do that? By admitting you're a sinner and believing in Jesus Christ. You can do that by calling on the Lord right where you are. Just silently pray in your heart. Say, Dear God, I know I'm a guilty sinner, and I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe that You died for my sins and rose again. Jesus, I receive You into my life as my Savior and Lord. Thank You for the free gift of eternal life. When you admit you're a sinner and believe in Christ, Jesus comes into your life. Father, I pray for those who prayed with me today to receive Christ. May they experience the joy the peace, the love of forgiveness of sins and a sure home in heaven and your life dwelling in their lives. I pray, Lord, for every believer here today that is pinned down in spiritual warfare, caught in Satan's lies and Satan's traps. I pray that you may free them in the same way that they got saved, that You would free them from the power of sin over their lives as they trust and obey You, as they trust in Jesus and obey You and walk with You. May there be great victory in many lives today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me? 
Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be in your house today. Thank you for the beauty of this day. Thank you for the beauty of the sanctuary in particular as we celebrate the Advent season and the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the word of hope today that is proven and proclaimed and decreed in your word and taught by Pastor Dan. We, we thank you that we are reminded that though Satan is real, though falsehood and deception abound around us, though our lives are caught up in spiritual warfare in our hearts and in the world around us, that the victory has already been won, the price has been paid, Jesus Christ will rule and we will join him in heaven covered by his blood. Thank you, Father, for that word of hope and help us, Father, each day to live in a way that proclaims the power of Christ in our lives. We pray, too, Father, that you will be faithful to remember and heal according to your will all those who we have lifted up in prayer today, those that are sick, those who have needs of various descriptions. We pray especially this day, Father, for our mission of the week, Amazing Grace Adoptions, and for our missionaries, those that we sponsor, those from this church and those that we sponsor in different parts of the world. We just ask that you go with them and that you guide their way. Help us to be faithful in our prayer lives and uh, in our mission and our outreach to others. Go with us now from this place, Father, that um, we would take from here this word of hope, that we would spread it to those around us. And we ask that all we have been a part of here today will be pleasing in your sight. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.